take a look at it for a minute. So we're just going to look at the first paragraph of the song. And it goes like this. So, oh, the weather outside. Anyway, so the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've got no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Now, um, I want you to look at this for a minute, and I want you to answer the question, is this a Christian song? And it, I, I mean, it's very clear that they don't talk directly about Jesus or about God. It's not an overtly religious song, but the question is still, are the ideas expressed in it one that Christians can agree with? Right? And so we've got at least one vote for yes over here. And uh, the way that I view the song, and I'm going to press it a little bit, but if you look at the whole song, it says something like this. The major idea goes something like this, but because I have your love, and he's probably talking about his girlfriend, uh, I'm not bothered by the storm, right? So um, although the weather outside is frightful and it's snowing and it's terrible, in here it's, it's okay because I have your company, we have the fireplace, it's warm, and so we're cool, you know? Um, because I have your love, it's okay that there's the storm outside, I'm not bothered by it. And so now, once I've kind of reframed it like this, um, how would you answer that question? Would you still say that this is a Christian song, not so much Christian song? Let's try a vote. Like, how many of you would say that, yes, you would vote that it is a Christian song? Well, nobody. Or at least one, okay. How many, oh, at least two. How many of you would say that, no, it is not? Oh, a few more, okay. Anyway, we'll get to that later on. Okay, where is uh, Joel? Okay, no, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you today like last time. <laughs> right, so um, now, the larger question that I think the song kind of points us towards is about how we deal with life's storms, how we as Christians think about life's storms. And I'm going to kind of interpret storms in the broadest possible sense. And I'm thinking about storms both in the kind of personal sufferings, the things that you deal with, the things that you struggle with kind of sense. And I'm also thinking about storms in the, in the larger societal sense, you know, about justice and poverty and, and issues, things that bother you about your, your family or the workplace or your country. And so these are all the kind of things I have in mind when I'm thinking about storms. And the question that I'd like us to kind of think about in this sermon is this. Um, what's your storm? Uh, right now, before we go into the rest of the sermon, I want you to take a, 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 just a couple of seconds and, and think and identify what, what's the most pressing thing that bothers you right now. Um, what is the thing that you're struggling with or what is the thing that you anticipate yourself having to deal with uh, in the next couple of weeks or months? Um, something in your life, your, your health, your sickness, um, something you're struggling with at school or, or at work, um, or a relationship, your family, something that, that hurts you, something that you struggle with. What's, what's your storm? And I want you to keep that in your mind as we proceed with the rest of the sermon. But the larger question about the storms is this. How does Christmas, the coming of Christ, how does that affect the way that Christians are to relate to life's storms? And the way I'm going to try and approach this is by looking at, you know, a couple of the Christmas texts in Matthew, Luke, and John. So we're going to look at a bunch of them. And the answer that I'm going to arrive at is this. I'm going to say um, Christmas is about the coming of a new king. And the way that he affects the way we relate to storm is two ways. Hmm. Okay, I'm not sure that the bottom is a bit cut off. Do you think you can make it a bit smaller? Okay, in any case, so I'm going to say two things about uh, what this means for the way that Christians relate to storms. All right, so... Um, 
Can I get the next slide? Okay, great. So now, so we're going to look at that in a couple of the Christmas texts in Matthew, Luke, and then in John as well. And one important historical context that you need to keep in mind is this, that this is not like in Singapore right now. In first century Palestine, kings changed all the time, and it was unpredictable. And what that means is that it's not like in Singapore where even before the next election, you kind of know who's going to win and who's going to be in charge. And it's not even like in the United States where sometimes you know, somebody surprising wins the election and you know, everybody's you know, uh, like, like stirred up about it, but you still kind of know it's going to be regular. In the next four years, there's going to be an election. There's going to be a transition. That's not the way that things worked in first century Palestine. You know, this is a time where kings would change unpredictably all the time. You know, somebody would like, get a disease and drop dead or somebody would be killed by their family member or somebody else who's trying to take over their throne or there'd be an external larger emperor who's controlling that particular area who will depose one king and put another king on top. So things would change all the time. And when that happened, it is important that you knew about who the new king was. Because what would happen is, you know, there's a new king, the new king kind of rides through your village or your town, you know, with his army and everything. And you don't want to be that one blur guy who's still like shouting the name of the old king, because that's a great way to get your head chopped off, right? So it's important to know who the new king was. Hmm. Um, I'm, I think I'm still kind of missing the bottom of the screen. <coughs> or can you guys see it in the other big screen? Yes, you can. Okay, I'm going to just preach from up here. Thanks. Okay, in any case, so uh, the news of the new king was important. And so we're going to look at those uh, texts in Matthew and Luke uh, about the, um, uh, to talk about what it means for Je- the coming of Jesus to be about the coming of the new king. And so this is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to read out from the ESV from now and the rest of the text, uh, rest of the sermon. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men came from the east, uh, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born? And now, don't look at your Bible, uh, we're going to have like this short MCQ. And the question is this, what, does, what do they ask for? Do they ask, where is he who was born? The Son of God. Or do they ask, where is he who was born? The priest, or the prophet, or the new savior of the world. Or do they ask, where is he who was born, the third person of the Trinity? Um, and you know that he, they don't ask any of these things. And of course, like all MCQs, uh, this is a tip from school, right? So just remember, whenever there's an MCQ, it's usually the answer D, none of the above. Huh? Right? So they ask none of these things. And the thing that they ask is, where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And this is incredible. And when Herod the king heard about this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And so the guy who hears about this is the guy who's the actual reigning king. So it's as if somebody came to PPH and started asking, Hey, we heard that Pastor Chiming is no more, and somebody else is replacing him as the new pastor. Who is it? That's kind of the sense that you get from this text. So... um, Now, let's look again at the text in uh, Luke chapter 1 that also speaks about the coming of the king. Uh, And so this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 33. Um, I'm reading from verse 26. In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. And pay attention to this. And behold, you will, pay con you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the greatest king that ever ruled over Israel. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you see that? When the prophecies and the songs and the people coming and asking about the coming of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 2, he's called the king of the Jews. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 33, he's described in terms of the throne of his father David, the reign he will give, the kingdom that will never end. So what does this mean? It means that Christmas is about the coming of a new king. And that needs to be the center of what we think about when we're thinking about Christmas. So the question is this, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? What's the major image that comes to your mind? Because if we're primarily thinking about Christmas as the birthday of Jesus, like happy birthday, Jesus, you're now 2016 years old, we've got it wrong because that's not what Christmas is primarily about. It's about the coming of a new king. And that is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. When we speak to or friends, or people who don't know Christ, about what Christmas is about, that needs to be at the center of, of our understanding and of our gospel as we speak to them. Now, so that's the first big idea that I wanted to get across. And that is that, uh, you know, how does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life's storms? Christmas is about the coming of a new king. But what does that mean in terms of the way we relate to life storms? And so I'm going to say two things. So the first major thing is this. Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. I'm reading from verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, Christmas, the coming of Jesus, it's about the coming of a new king. And what he does primarily in the first instance is he saves people from their sins. Now, do you need to be saved from your sin? Now, I, most of us are believers and we know the story inside out, but it's never wrong to be reminded, especially as we approach the celebration of Jesus' birth. Remember a couple of minutes ago, I asked you to think about what, what's the biggest storm, what's the biggest struggle that you're facing. Um, at the bottom of that, the, the, the cause of that, the root of that, ultimately, is sin. It's because our world is broken, because you and I, we're separated from Christ, from God. 
by birth, um, by our nature, we're separated from God because we have chosen to put our own lives, our own interests uh, before submission to God. And we need to be saved from that. And Jesus does that. And so if you don't know Jesus, if there's one of you here who's not a Christian and you want to find out more about what it means to accept this king as, as your Lord, as your Savior, um, come speak with us. Um, I mean, I, after the service, I'm going to be here. Pastor Chiming, uh, Pastor Joanne is going to be around. Um, allow us to speak to you about what that means um, and find out more about what following this new king means. Do you need to be saved from sin? Now, this is something that most of us are familiar with, you know, that Jesus saves us from the storms. And in this case, I'm talking about being saved from sin. But there's another sense in which Jesus also saves. And you see this more clearly in the Gospel of Luke. Now, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 75. And this is a place where Zechariah, and this is the father of John the Baptist, he is infilled with the Holy Spirit and he makes a prophetic song and he makes a prophecy. And this is what he says. Listen, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 75. <clears throat> and John the Baptist's father, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, redeemed or saved his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from, uh, from of old, that we should be saved from, and this is Zechariah singing and praising God for the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. But what does he say? That we should be saved from MCQ. Our sins? Does he praise God because we've been saved from judgment? Or praise God because we've been saved from hell? And, and these are all right things, true things. But that's not what Zechariah sings about. He does none of the above, as usual. Um, but listen to what Zechariah sings about. That we will be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And these are the covenant promises given to Old Testament Israel. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And so this is the Abrahamic covenant. And so this is a bunch of promises that God makes to Abraham in the book of Genesis chapter 12 and a couple of other places. And that Verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What on earth is this about? What is wrong with this guy? Why would Zechariah sing and praise God for this? What is, why is Zechariah saying this about Jesus Christ's work? Is, does he not understand that Jesus didn't come to save you from the hand of your enemies. He came to save you from your sins. And so, like, when you die, he's going to take you to heaven. But right now, sorry, dude, you're kind of on your own. D does he not understand this? Or, or is, is he just plain wrong? I mean, he's a bit, like, getting old and dotty already. Like, he doesn't, like, understand what to sing about. But remember in verse 67, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies under the power of God. So what does he mean when he speaks of all of this? Now, there's a long answer to that, but I'm not going to go into all of the texts related to that. So let me give you a briefer answer to that. And 
It's partly found in Romans chapter 8, verse 21 to 24. Look, verse 21. So Paul's writes that the creation itself, that's all things, would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And he's talking about the restoration of all things, of creation, of the entire world, in the same way that the children of God were first saved. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we have been saved. What is Paul talking about? In the larger context of Romans chapter 8, he's talking about all the types of suffering, all the types of brokenness, all the types of things that are wrong with the world, every type of suffering. And he says that in Jesus, Jesus' work not only saves you and you and you as an individual from sin, but because of the atonement of Jesus, the whole world will be redeemed, everything that's wrong, every cause of suffering, every hurt, every struggle, all of these will be made right because of Jesus. And that is the nature of Jesus' work. So how do we think of Jesus' work when we think about him coming to the earth on Christmas? Do we think of Jesus primarily like lifeboat? So like the ship is sinking, too bad, but we get to help onto Jesus, and we kind of slowly float away. Or do we think of Jesus' work in these terms? That he comes and he saves and he redeems and he makes all things new. And that he redeems from every type of suffering. So Christmas is the coming of a new king and who saves us from the storms. And that means he saves us from sin. But it also means that he saves us from all suffering. And that's the reason why Zechariah sings and worships and praises God for the coming of that king. This is the scope of Jesus' work. Now, there are a couple of doctrinal categories that help you kind of wrap your head around this. And so they're kind of big words. The idea of the doctrine of movement from creation to new creation or the doctrine of the covenants in the Bible and how God promises the restoration of all things in the Old Testament and how that is fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. And there's ideas from eschatology about the end of days, about how things are restored. But I'm I'm not going to elaborate on these right now, but these are the kind of doctrinal categories that help us wrap our head around these things. But aside from the kind of big words, what what, what does that mean for, for us right now and here? Because like Zechariah, that Salvation from all suffering doesn't happen immediately. Remember what happened to Zechariah. He sings of the salvation of Israel from his enemies, but Israel still remains occupied by a foreign power, and eventually they destroy Jerusalem in AD 66, um, uh, a couple of decades after this prophecy. So what, what do we make of this? What does it mean for us to still take refuge in Jesus in the midst of life's storms, even though that completeness of that redemption hasn't happened yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And the way that we take refuge in Christ, the way that we do not lose heart in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the storms, is to look to the things that are unseen. Now, how, how exactly does one do that? And there are many ways. Um, in, in this last week, um, I, I spoke to a couple of people about what it means for you to find refuge in Jesus Christ in your times of suffering. And if you're a CGL, you know, that, that, that's a great question to ask. And as we find out from one another what it means for us to go to Christ in our time of refuge, we'll, we'll strengthen one another and be better able to understand the, the scope of um, of, of strategies available to us. But at least the people that I spoke to in this week, um, they said a couple of things, and it all kind of boiled down to these three things. There may be others, but these are the three that th these particular people spoke about. And one is looking to God's sovereignty. And this has been especially important for, for me personally. Um, a, a few of you are aware that in this last like one and a half years, there's been a time of of a special um, uh, struggle for me, um, especially because uh, there are these significant conflicts with my, with my wife's family. And um, there were times when I felt hurt and treated poorly and, and treated unjustly. And, and I know that I probably contributed to the conflict as well. I wasn't faultless. I wasn't sinless. But still, this, this was a point of great struggle and a storm for me. And for me, one of the most important truths to hang on to is the idea of God the Father's sovereignty, that no matter what happens to me, no matter what struggle I need to go through, it comes ultimately with the permission of God who's sovereign, that he knows, and that if he allowed it, if it comes from his hand, I'll be okay. The idea of God's sovereignty, that is one unseen thing that I look for um, personally and in my times of storms. Another friend spoke of the idea of God's nearness. And he's someone who's struggled in part because he's uh, going through medical special, specialty training, works 100 hours a week, uh, doesn't get to see his family. He's, he's still single in large part because he's chosen to train and not to, uh, you know, to, to seek a wife. And um, he is lonely and it hurts him. And he's wondering whether he's traded off his life in, in order to, to work. And for him, he finds great comfort in this, the idea of God's imminence, Emmanuel, God with us, that God is near us, and he's not alone, that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every believer, right now, there's no struggle that he goes through on his own. And so for him, he doesn't look to the unseen in terms of, he doesn't look to God's sovereignty or the fact that this suffering comes in one measure from God's hand. He looks to the idea that God comes and walks with him and stays with him and near him in the midst of that suffering. So that's another unseen thing that believers look for in terms of refuge from the storms. And a third way was, was what somebody else told me about, and this is a friend of mine who's um, who's struggled with depression. She, at one point, she thought about suicide. She's been on medications and all. And um, one of the hardest lives that, that, that I have seen. And um, for her, when I ask, you know, so how do you deal with 
the storms in your life? What does it mean for you to be a Christian and to go through this? For her, it is the hope of God's restoration of all things. Because of Jesus, because of his atonement, at the end of days, all of this will be made right. And even though she's going through the pit of despair, she looks to that. She reminds herself of that. And that's her hope. So that's another way. Now, these are not the only ways. There are countless doctrines and ideas and and thoughts in Scripture that help us as believers to seek refuge in Christ. But these are the ones that I came across this week. And um, as a church, as we speak with one another, as cell groups, um, this is a good thing for us to learn from one another about. So how do we take refuge in Jesus in the midst of all of life's storms? As we look to the things unseen. The larger question I was asking is, how does Christmas affect how we relate to life's storms? And the first idea is that Christmas is the coming of a new king who saves us from the storms. He saves us from sin if you accept him as your savior, as your new king. But you don't just need to wait until you die to be saved from life's storms. There's comfort in him right now in every type of suffering. And I want to pause just a little while for you to pray if you need to. Um, So I'm just going to give you about 20 seconds, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move on. The sermon isn't finished. We still have about 15 minutes to go, so hang in there. Okay, but just kind of pause and, and just be quiet with me. God, we look to you for salvation in every way. Help us. Help us to anchor ourselves in the truth of your word. Give us comfort for those who need it. In Jesus' name. Um, So, the second major thing is this. So, the question I was asking is, how does Christmas affect how we relate to life's storms? And the first idea was that Jesus saves us from the storms. And the second idea is this. Um, In order to look at that, we're going to ask the question, what did the coming of Jesus Christ, what did the incarnation, what does Christmas look like to Jesus? How did he experience it? And so we're going to look at the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the beginning, and we're going to look at the end of it. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we celebrate the coming of the king. But what did Christmas, what did the incarnation look like to Jesus? And it looked like this. It looked like him being initially with God, sharing the glory of the father, But leaving that and going into the world, into a place where he's rejected, where he's not received, and yet staying and being flesh and dwelling among the people who haven't received him as well as those who have received him. Paul, in the book of Philippians, also reflects on what it means for Jesus to come to the world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. So Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And so as we sing joy to the world and celebrate the coming of Jesus to be our new king, what did it look like to Jesus? What did it look like from his point of view? What did Christmas mean for Jesus? It meant, at least in some measure, being with God, leaving and coming to his own and not being received by people. It meant emptying himself and being found in the form of a servant, even to the point of death. And somewhere within our understanding of Christmas, this must be part of it. Now, if that's so, if that's what Christmas meant for Jesus, um, what, how, how does this connect to us? John chapter 20, verse 21. This is the end of John. Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And this is described again in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 14 to 18. I ha he's speaking to God now. I have given them, the disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I, Jesus, am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is what it meant for Jesus to come to the world. And those are the same categories that we must think of about how Jesus sends us into the world. So how does Christ affect, how does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life's storms? Jesus comes as a new king who saves us from the storms of sin and of suffering ultimately. But at the same time, Jesus sends us into the storms. And both of these must be a part of the way we think about Christmas and what that means for us. Now, um, I shared this like a year ago before the previous Christmas as well. But I have this friend who's the same, who was in the same class as I in medical school. And every single year since he graduated, on Christmas Day, he's a Christian, he works. He gets like on shift in the emergency department. And uh, which is kind of nuts because most of the time, the way that the emergency department works is that uh, people who are kind of Muslim, they take like Hari Raya and the Muslim holidays off. Those who are Indian or, or Hindu, they take Deepali off. Those who, are Muslim, those who are Christian, they take the Christmas off. But not this guy. Every single Christmas, he's there and he's working. And last, and like two years ago or something, he was asked by one of the Muslim nurses, aren't you Christian? Why are you still here working on a public holiday on Christmas? And he, and he told her... Um, because Christmas meant for my Lord leaving comfort and home and going into the world. And for that reason, every Christmas, the best way for me to celebrate it is by leaving home and comfort and coming and serving the people who are sick um, in the hospital. Now, that's nuts. Um, so I, I was very inspired by him, and I've been trying to do that like uh, almost every Christmas. Not as garang as him, but tr trying as well. But... Um, he, he got something right. He understands something about Christmas and the Incarnation. And, and I, want to, I want to do that too. It's a part of the thinking of Lewis and I as we think about um, go, going to Sierra Leone as well. Um, and the reason is this, because um, it's, 
basically, in the long run, we're still preparing to go to East Timor um, for, for a couple of years. But right now, as we got the opportunity to spend some time, about one year away, we were trying to go to East Timor, but for political reasons, the doors weren't available to us. And so we're looking for some other place. And uh, Sierra Leone and the opportunity to serve here came up. And I've been asked by some people, and it's, it's a hard place, you know, there's been civil war and Ebola and disease, and it's the, one of the least developed places in the world. Like, it's, it's got the world's like, highest maternal mortality rate, the people who die in childhood, childbirth. Why, why would you go there? And the answer is exactly because of that we'd go there. Because at, at least for me and, and for Lois, um, for us, this is what Christmas means. This is what being like Christ means. This is what trying to follow him faithfully means. Um, and going to, 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 to the, one of the harder places. Um, and so this is what we, we hope to do. Um, but as I was talking to one of my friends about this in, in the last couple of weeks, he told me, Raj, you actually don't do this very well, the being involved in the storms of the world and people's lives are well. And I was like, hello, like, give me some credit. Lah. You know, I'm going to this place. Why, why, why would you say something like that? And he's very annoying because what he told me was that, actually, Raj, you know, you do some of these things well. Like, you know, you do the, the teaching, okay, you know, you like, you can do the public health training and stuff, and you can speak in front of crowds and stuff. And you do that, but when it comes to the individuals and about the storms in their lives and being involved and ministering and being a part of that, you're not very good. And you know what's terrible? He's right. And I hate it when my friends do that. Um, I, I don't do this very well, and, and that's a problem. And, I, and, and, it, and it bothers me because, I mean, like in the last like four or five years I've been working in, in NUS, I mean, less than 10 people um, I've been able to really minister to on, on a personal basis about the kind of struggles and the storms that they go through. It's easy to deal with infectious disease epidemiology and public health and statistics and all that, but it's, it's hard um, when you have a friend who doesn't know Christ or is going through a, a tough period, to allow yourself to be involved and, and enter into their lives. Now, my wife does that a whole lot better than me, but this is something that I struggle with, and, I, and, and this is one of my biggest fears as we go to Sierra Leone in this next one year, that I will do the technical thing well, but I won't be involved in the lives of the Sierra Leoneans and the other people. Because it's a new place, it's going to be stressful, and it's very easy to retreat to the things that I know I can do well. Uh, and and this, is my, th this is my temptation. This is the thing that I will struggle with. And so I ask you, um, if you pray for us, uh, pray for me for this, that I'd be faithful in being involved in the storms of other people's lives. Um, you can pray for this for Lewis as well, but you don't need to pray that much for her because she does this quite well. So you, you can pray for other things for her, but, but for this, pray for me. Um, and keep me accountable. And so, like, if once in a while, like, you email me or, you know, we, we talk or after I come back, just ask me, you know, like, did you do what you said you wanted to do? Did you involve yourselves in the lives of uh, the, the people who are hurting? And if you didn't, shame on you. Um, tell me that. Keep me accountable. Um, now, the exact kind of things that we are called to, the kind of storms in other people's lives that we're asked to go into, differ from person to person, and they're not all the same thing. And the thing is this, um, the last couple of weeks, one of the things that 
frightens the pants off me is when, you know, like Pastor Chiming or somebody else announces, like, you know, the call for volunteers for the crash. Oh, that is, I, know, I don't know about some of you, but you can deal with kind of like, you know, lots of children and, 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 and kind of managing them and take care of them. But it's something that I'm very, very poor at, and it frightens me. And when they kind of announce and ask for volunteers, I must confess that sometimes I've kind of prayed to God, thank you, God, that I'm only going to this place where there's Ebola and malaria and not having to deal with all of these, like, kids. Like, I can, I can deal with them in, like, small doses, like, you know, like, one, two kids, okay, can. But when you give me, like, five or ten, like, it's just, like, all arms and legs and snot and, and stuff, and, like, I, I, I don't know. Um, it frightens me. And now, so what, what my point is that there's some types of storms that some of us deal with better than others, and there's some types of involvement in other people's lives that some of you are going to be called to and not others. Now, not all of you are going to be called into the kind of work that Lois and I are going to be doing in Sierra Leone, but some of you, not all of you, the being called into the storms means being a part of the crash, doing something that's uncomfortable, doing something that's hard, you know, into that whole blizzard of arms and legs and snot. Um, for some of you, it's going to mean something else. It's going to mean being involved in the Theban Gardens um, service uh, on Christmas and going out into the place that is, it's a very different socioeconomic place than most of us are, are used to. It's a poorer place. It's a, it's a dirtier place. It's a very different type of people group. But being involved in that, for some of you, it's going to mean looking into the storms of the people in your workplace or in your school or your neighbors. But for all of us, it means going into some kind of storm. And so the question is this. Into which storm is Jesus sending you? And yours will not be the same as mine. And yours will not be the same as the person next to you. But it will be something because if you're not being sent into some storm in the way that Jesus was sent to us, maybe that's disobedience. Now, how do you know whether you're kind of doing the kind of thing that you should be or, or fulfilling the call of Jesus into being sent into a storm? General rule that I like to use is... Look at your friends, your non-believer friends, the people that are around you, your peers, people who make the same money as you, the people who do the same kind of things as you. If you're going to exactly the same places those guys are going, if you're doing exactly the same things that those guys are doing, except for on Sundays, you're not going into the storm enough. That's a Raj rule, you know, the, the, the rule of the, of the storm. Um, but which is the storm that Jesus calls you into? And so... What I'd like to do is, uh, I'm going to end around here, and I'm going to get um, the musicians to come up. And as they come up, um, I'm going to get them to sing the, how can I keep from singing your, your uh, something, how can I keep from singing song thing that you did. We'll, we'll, can, just, can we get ready to play that? And um, as we do that, I want you to just kind of look back at this song. Don't worry, you're not going to play the Let It Snow song. Um, and ask again the question, is this a Christian song? And the answer, I think, is, Partly, because it is right that, you know, the weather outside is frightful, the fire is delightful, and since we've got no place to go, let it snow. It's fine that it's snowing outside, stormy outside. We're, in, we're okay in here. And that's partly true, because we do find refuge in Jesus against the storms of the world. 
but it's only partly true because the other part of the equation is that it is not true. There is, it's not the case that we've got no place to go. The whole world is in the storm. You are called to pick up your jacket and get out into that. That's what Christmas should make us do. How does Christmas affect the way that we relate to life's storms? Christmas is the coming of a new king. He saves us from the storms of sin and of suffering. He gives us comfort and refuge. But he sends us into those storms of other people's lives. Um, maybe you guys can, we can switch to the, um, to, to the song. and Maybe you can just begin playing first. Uh, softly, and I, will, I would like you to get ready to, to sing, but I would like to pray, especially for two groups of people. Maybe you can just join me and just stand up with me. Um, and the two groups of people that I'd like to pray for is um, one group, some of you, not all of you, but some of you, you're going through storms. Now or, or in the near future, future, you know that it's coming. And you need refuge in Jesus against those storms. If you're not a believer, um, come. Come to Jesus. He promises to save you from sin and to save you from all the sufferings in the world, to give you a refuge from them. So that's the first group of people I, I want to pray for, and that's those of you who need refuge from the storms. And the second group of people, that's some of you, not all of you, but some of you, when you look upon your life and the goodness of what God has done in your life, you know you've taken refuge in Him. You're by the fireside with Him. You're comfortable and it's a storm outside and you haven't been a part of that. You haven't been a part of the storms of the people around you, your neighbors, your, your friends, the people in your church, the people in your community. For some of you, the people in other hard places in the world, in Sierra Leone or, or elsewhere. For some of you, uh, not all of you, God's call today is to say, I will go out, I will be sent out into those storms, all of these different types of storms in the way that you were sent for us. So I'd like us to close our eyes for a minute. I'm going to pray for these two groups of people. And then when we sing, uh, I'm going to issue a call and I'd like those of you who want to be prayed for this, uh, to come come up to the front and uh, me and Pastor Shimei and some of the others, we will pray for you. So we'll first pray and then I'll ask um, you to you know, sing and then I'll get all of you guys, those of you who wish to be prayed for, for these two things to come to the front. Hey, come, would you close your eyes and would you pray with me? God, convict us. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. For some of us here, um, I know we're going through storms and God, we need your refuge. We've, for some of us, we We've come to you and accepted you as Lord and Savior and we look to you for our salvation at the end of days. But right now, we need you. 
be the reminder of, of your sovereignty and of your nearness and how you're going to make all things right. We need these, like oxygen. We need you to be able to survive these storms. And we ask you to help us. We ask you to comfort us. And we ask you to prepare us so that when the next storm comes, we'll be ready. God, help us find refuge in you. Help us to be saved from the storms. And God, I pray for a second group of people. And that's the, for those of you who, who know you haven't been out into the storms enough safe, you've been comfortable, that you haven't served the world, you haven't reached the lost in the same way that Christ left his home and came to us, that you've retreated to the things that have been comfortable to you. And I speak of, of myself as well when I think of, of my own tendency to just do the technical thing involved in, in the lives of people in their storms. God, I speak for all of us when I say, um, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Help me. Give me the conviction. Give me the empowerment. Help us. Help us to go out into the world in the way that Christ was sent to us. invite those of you who wish to be prayed for uh, to come and uh, me and uh, Pastor Jimmy will pray for you as the song starts. See 
Lord, we want to sing about you. We want to sing about the King, the King who comes down, the King who loves us. This Christmas is about you, the King. Lord, like, let you be the King of our lives, the King of our hearts, the King of our hands, the Kings of our mouth, the Kings of our everything. That God, we will be there, recognizing that you are in control. Nothing can move us. 
because you are in control. You allow things to happen and you suffer with us. You overcome our sufferings. You overcome our sins. And you sense us as your king, as your ambassador to the world that is suffering. And I pray that today you will help us this Christmas. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to be alert about the people that you want us to walk into their storms, Father. That we will be there for them so that they know you are the king, the king who loved them too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. Jesus.